You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on the Pet Life Radio Network. I'm Keith Sanderson, creator and host of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, award-winning writer, animal expert, and sidekick of Max A. Pooch, the canine champion for animals in the environment. Each episode of Awesome Advocates is dedicated to an individual or individuals whose work helps improve or save the lives of animals and make our planet a better place. We are fortunate that today we are able to take advantage of the fact our guest, Dr. Roger Mugford, is in from the United Kingdom attending the American Professional Dog Trainers Association annual convention in Hartford, Connecticut. Dr. Mugford is widely acknowledged as being Britain's leading animal psychologist. He holds advanced degrees in zoology and psychology, and after pioneering the practice of behavioral therapy for pets, Dr. Mugford founded the Animal Behavior Center in 1979, which is the largest of its kind in the UK. He founded the Company of Animals and invented numerous training accessories, including the world-famous Halty Head Collar. Dr. Mugford is a patron of Britain's Dogs for the Disabled, a trustee of cancer and pro-detection dogs, and was awarded the Blue Cross Welfare Award. Currently, he is active in the defense of dogs facing unjust treatment before the law. Another of his current endeavors is building awareness of animal shelters through an organization called Wet Nose Aid. We'll meet Dr. Mugford in a moment and learn what Wet Nose Aid is, if animal advocacy is the same or different in the UK than in the US, and more. But first, a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Dr. Roger Mugford, a pioneer in animal behavioral therapy, author, and activist for the humane treatment of animals. Welcome, Dr. Mugford. Thank you for being with us today. It's my pleasure, Keith. And I should also say, and I'm a farmer as well, and I love wildlife. Uh, I'm not just into dogs, of all animals, really, and especially wildlife that finds itself behind bars in zoos and the like. I don't discriminate between the value of one animal kind versus another. Well, that's great, because I think that's true of most advocates. Uh, even though we may specialize sometimes, there's a deep empathy for those that can't talk and suffer at the hands of humans. And I read uh, you're currently involved in an organization called Wet Nose Aid. 
Can you tell us about Wet Nose Aid and what its mission is? Well, as you know, Britain is a sort of home and enthusiast for stand-up comic comics, and um, every year there's something called Comic Relief, when a whole week is devoted to people involved in humour, which are also raising money, a lot of money, for children's charities, disabled children with leukaemia and the like. It raises probably of the order of a billion dollars worth of, of some charitable giving during that week. And we thought that really a lot of the same sort of giving instincts can be harnessed for animals, so we have a wet nose day, where people go around uh, wearing a funny black foam nose uh, to look like a dog or a cat and we all do crazy things to raise awareness about animals and, and people give a lot of money at collection points in veterinary surgeons and, and pet stores and the like. So it was, it was um, the first of its kind this year uh, and I'm sure it's going to grow each year as time goes on. Am I correct in that it's sort of an umbrella organization for smaller, less known animal shelters? Exactly that, yeah. I mean, there are big national, international charities like the RSPCA that are well-known in the U.S. and uh, the Dogs Trust that I've already mentioned, uh, which are fantastically well-funded, like you know, from By the We in the organization in the U.S., so some you know, really well-funded, well-structured animal charities in the U.S. as well. And they have the benefits of PR professionals and you know, professional fundraisers. And, but the little ones, like literally a lady who will rescue cats that she sees uh, running feral and, and protected or uh, brings in wildlife um, there's a little group called Miss Tiggywinkle which is uh, as you'd expect if you're a Beatrix Potter fan and um, they rescue injured hedgehogs and, and they have a, a little specialized animal hospital just dealing with hedgehogs so these little guys don't tend to get attention beyond their local media and uh, we want to bring them together and talk about all the great things that are done by individuals direct action that's a very interesting concept. And then do um, the, uh, the organizations that are participating in this, do they apply for grants or how is the funding distributed to them? Indeed, indeed. They've got to put forward you know, uh, evidence of uh, the money being spent in a worthwhile way for the benefit of animals. And, and the good thing about these little charities is that they tend not to carry big overheads. They main offices in expensive cities, but rather they're, they're run from somebody's uh, front living room at home. And, uh, and, and they often no directly salaried people employed. It's all by volunteer labor. And there's a lot of that goes on in the UK, and I suspect a lot of it goes on in the US as well. And these people deserve recognition for the time and effort that they put into the work they do. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if something like that would work in the U.S. because I talked to so many, so many of my guests are, just as you suggested, small founders or workers at small animal shelters or maybe a specialty. Um, they're not well funded. Like most not-for-profits, they're always looking for um, funding and uh, trying to run something and find money. It's uh, both are full-time jobs and they have a difficult time doing it. And um, is there a website our listeners? could learn more about this organization if you google wet nose uk it'll come up i think i think and uh, I'll, I'll do some research and get the information to you okay that'll be great because that's you know that really does sound like a good idea and I, I don't know as vast as the you know as big as the united states is if that could work but maybe it could work on a statewide basis or a regional basis here in the states exactly uh, be, my thought too Exactly. Wow. Now, you're also involved in uh, defense of animals. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about? Well, we have something called breed-specific legislation, which some states like Denver um, City has in the U.S. as well. And uh, I just think it's outrageous. I mean, we've got rid of racism. We're doing a pretty good job at getting rid of gender um, bias as well and a bunch of other sort of hang-ups that humans have about other humans. So why the devil have we got this hang-up about pit bulls? And uh, and it tends to be that specific breed. Um, And the U.K. introduced laws banning pit bulls allegedly in 1991, well, you know, 24 years later, we've still got the same laws and the same injustices, and it's been a very long struggle because not only are pit bulls being picked up and accused of being uh, illegal, but um, related similar-looking breeds like, uh, obviously, Amstaffs, but uh, the English-British Staffordshire Bull Terrier as well. And so these poor families have had their pet, much-loved dog ripped from them, and and they're criminalized for having it. Now, uh, in the early stages, these dogs were killed, were put to sleep, um, and uh, if you like, uh, you know, state-sponsored killing. And things have got a little bit better. Now they're allowed to keep them, but they have to have them neutered, tattooed, which is very unkind, I think, um, and uh, microchip, which is sensible, and uh, uh, and kept on the lead and on the muzzle all times. The evidence is that these dogs are no more or less dangerous than any other breed, like a German Shepherd or a Border Collie or a Jack Russell, actually. Jack Russell is probably the, one of the most popular breeds in the UK, as you'd expect, and well represented for dog bites. We all love a cute little Jack Russell, um, but not so much <laughs> not so much a pit bull. And I think it's anti-American, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in my offices in a warehouse in Connecticut, um, I'm really pleased that there are two pit bulls in there that are pets and well looked after. And, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to have them here on the East Coast. But we've got the same BSL problem in Canada and in a bunch of other countries in Europe. Um, and they, they never work. And really, it's people that create bad dogs and it's people that fight dogs that set dogs on other human beings um, that using dogs as weapons. And that is undoubtedly a big problem in the UK, in, in Holland and, uh, and elsewhere, where some unpleasant people use dogs for all the wrong things. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think uh, if I recall, you know, looking back through my life, at one time, the, the big dog that everybody seemed to be against was the German Shepherd. And yeah. then the uh, Doberman Penser. And then the yeah. Rottweiler. Yes, and 99 and 9-10% of the time, it turns out it's the owner who who made the dog that way. Uh, Having said that, there are some breeds of dogs that have particular propensities, and, you know, I will concede, and it it keeps me busy, uh, German Shepherds that defend their their yard or their their space, their their home, more than most. Uh, They're very territorial. Or pit bulls and Staffordshire's tend to be overrepresented for dog-on-dog aggression. But these are problems that can be treated. These are problems that can be avoided by uh, early puppy socialization, early training, which, of course, I'm a big advocate of. And uh, you expect a, a greyhound to run, and you'd expect a Jack Russell to, to go hunting rabbits and squirrel, chasing squirrels. Um, but beyond that, uh, all dogs are lovely, and all dogs can be made man's best friend if people go about it in the right way. Sure. I, I think a lot of it is people just being aware of how, if they have a breed of dog, how it may be wired and then what to watch for and how to uh, teach it or socialize it. And um, that can make a big difference. Yeah, exactly. And and I think the variety, the diversity of dogs, which are all man-made, of course, and man-made over probably as few as uh, a thousand generations, uh, 10,000 years, um, that uh, they're really interesting. And I, I really 
adore the, the diversity of dog breeds that there are, and of course, and the mutts. Exactly. Hey, you know, you were talking about being here in the States, and do you perceive major differences between the UK and the US in approaches to solving the challenges of unwanted or homeless dogs and cats? There are. There is a big, big difference, and I, I don't understand um, oh, supremacist or something, but uh, the UK dog population is more responsibly owned than in the U- US, I'm sorry to say, I think is my impression. Now, you have extremes in the US. You have people who dress their animals up in funny coats and carry them in a handbag and, you know, really super indulgent, high-end, um, if you like, little dogs and chihuahuas and so on. Uh, the Paris Hiltons of this world. And you get other dogs at the other extreme, they get dumped in shelters and seven to 10 million dogs every year get recycled in the US, uh, recycled often into black bags and landfill. And it is a disgrace really, and it worries me greatly. Uh, It's one of the things that attracts me to keep coming back to the US to try and overcome this overpopulation. I was hearing of a producer of puppies in one of the southern states that produces 70,000 puppies, a puppy farmer, 70,000 puppies, and uh, they will sell for 500 to $2,000 a piece, um, puppies. And they're shipped all over the country by airlines and, um, and surface freight, like so much um, commodities. Um, and we, that, that business, that industry, just doesn't exist in the UK, doesn't exist in most European countries. Where there is overpopulation, um, I mentioned in the southern European states, of, um, Turkey, Greece, along the Mediterranean area, um, we know those of us from the north of Europe are down there doing a darndest to educate and help and reduce that by uh, subsidized spay neuter programs, which also exist in the US. But no matter how many people responsibly neuter their pet dogs, there's this massive industry in the Midwest and elsewhere, and uh, some of them sort of religious minorities in Pennsylvania, that you know for which breeding puppies is a big business, and uh, and it seems to be socially acceptable here. It would not be in, in UK or Holland or Germany. As you're probably well aware, there's a big outcry against it, but I think what so much about it in the United States is ignorance. Max, Max A. Pooch, my dog companion, is a registered black lab but his owners turned him into animal control at six months of age and i would say the odds and he had no training absolutely he didn't even know what a leash was so you can imagine a healthy energetic six-month-old lab without a bit of training and they turned him in with his registration papers akc registration papers and i think probably they were the typical family that went out and said oh let's get a doggy went to a pet store bought a puppy mill dog had no idea what they were getting into because they probably bought a lab because they read someplace they're the most popular dog in the united states but they didn't read the fine print that these are active dogs that with brains and intelligence and need to be um, those traits of it need to be looked after and actually they need to be exercised so at six months he had turned from a fat roly-poly little puppy into an obnoxious teenager (laughs) <laughs> and I, I'm really sure that's why they got rid of them. Um, and they probably paid, as you said, you know, $1,000 or more. And now they're just throwing this away. Uh, disposable dogs, I guess, is what we take. I do want to ask you another question, though. What's the most common behavioral problem in dogs in the U.K.? And what about the U.S.? 
Well, I, I can't speak as an expert on the U.S. situation, uh, but talking to professional colleagues here at the APDT meeting in Hartford and other colleagues, I get the distinct impression that it is still what we call separation problems. In other words, dogs that howl when they're left alone, that wreck the apartment, that uh, pee and poop in the, all the wrong places when they're left alone. And um, any of you who've got smartphones, then I would ask that you set up your smartphone on some high ledge where the dog can't reach it and just film what the do your dog or your puppy or your kitten, for that matter, gets up to. Maybe your teenage kids as well. And um, <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be amazed, in other words. You don't need to have an expensive webcam, although they're becoming increasingly popular. But um, you could get a bit of a depressed, depressing insight into the distress that your animal feels. Now, that's really common in the US, um, much less common in the UK because we've had so many great TV shows about dog behavior. Our own Victoria Stilwell, who now lives in Atlanta, Georgia, um, she's had a, a, a great series. And I and others have talked about the simple procedures that actually cure and prevent, more important, prevent separation problems in dogs. And, uh, and most British owners know, know, about what, know what to do. And there are also some commercial products that help. There's a, a pheromone series called Adaptil that help dogs cope with separation. And there are simple training processes that puppy owners should start with that prevent it. So in the UK, I'm known as Mr. Aggression because I deal mostly with aggressive dogs, and it's dog-on-dog -dog aggression. So dogs on leads or off leads that... Um, pick a fight with another dog and if you like social skill inadequacies in dogs and that's what keeps me busy yes i saw that your um work uh, is quite valuable because there can be nothing more frustrating than being uh, having a dog you love and he's great around the house and you take him out for a walk and all of a sudden he's the uh, neighborhood nemesis and uh, but we need to take a break right now and but when we return dr mugford will share with us why he chose a career in working with animals and he's going to provide advice for any of our listeners who are contemplating selecting a similar career We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com, the latest fashion trends for our furry friends. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Hi, this is Marcy Davis and my service dog, Whistle. 
and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Working Like Dogs is the show where you can learn everything you ever wanted to know about working animals or working dogs. Whether you're a member of a working dog team or you've just seen a working dog or animal out at the mall or the grocery store and you're curious about how these amazing animals work with their human partners, then Working Like Dogs is the show for you. Join us for the inside scoop at Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. Our guest, Dr. Roger Mugford, is one of Britain's leading animal psychologists and founder and CEO of the Company of Animals. Dr. Mugford, what led you to decide to make it your career working with and advocating for animals? Well, I qualified as a clinical psychologist. So I was working with people, but I've obviously had a, a, a country upbringing. So I'm a farmer's son. I uh, always had animals. I was interested in wildlife. And pretty soon I just realized that Clinical psychologists work with people with um, behavioral and, and social problems and just neglected, we're talking about that back in the 60s and 70s, neglected this interesting relationship that people have with their pets. You know, old people couldn't be brought into social home care um, because they didn't want to, they were worried about who was going to look after their cage bird or their, or their dog or their cat. And social service um, professionals just didn't take any account of this pet owner relationship. And so I began to delve as a research scientist into what lay behind this giving relationship, this, this wonderful altruistic caring for another animal that apparently doesn't give anything in return except love and sometimes you know messy floors and, and expensive <laughs> vet bills but you know it's a love-driven relationship that um, academic psychologists and, and uh, practicing clinical psychologists were not interested in. well I was and I did some of the pioneer research into this human animal relationship human animal bond and the first conference we had in oh, 1973 or thereabouts in Scotland and had brought 12 professionals together and now the latest human international human animal bond um, uh, professional relation, uh, conferences there are uh, the hundreds of attendees now it, it's a really big topic that's on the minds of educators of social workers medical people and uh, of course those of us interested in animal welfare uh, so it, it's uh, it's a big talking point worldwide uh, and we now do take pets seriously i mean even the funny things that pets do are taken seriously that's very interesting because I, I see a trend here in the United States. I think we may be behind the UK in that, but I had a guest on from the New York City Mayor's Alliance, and uh, she was talking about how uh, one of their, their battered spouses, battered women's locations were now allowing uh, the women to bring their dogs with them. And they said that sometimes they actually re- didn't want to go there because their dogs couldn't and, and would stay and take abuse from their spouses spouse rather than uh, see their leave their dogs and see their dogs continue to take uh, abuse so um, I think uh, a lot more work needs to be done here in the states on that aspect uh, with the elderly or the abused and and not just the states I think it's a worldwide issue funny enough the country that is probably the most liberal and opens doors to pets as well as people is France Um, I go to France and you know you go in a cafe restaurant hotel and it's universal dogs are welcome Um, in the U- U.S., it's, I guess it's about 
and in the UK, it's no better than a third. Um, so we're, we're a bit more fussy in the US. But um, what really I love about this relationship is that it's, it's all based on love and it is the child-parent relationship. We talk now increasingly about uh, your pet parenting and uh, the things that drive you to want to own a dog and raise to do the best for your cat and so on is exactly the same as a parent worrying about the kid at school and his health and his development um, and and then people will invest in puppy socialization classes and specialized training and you know they get interactive games and toys to keep the animal abused and spend on pets is enormous and very often this pet is a substitute for having a child because people delay or don't, don't go into having children at all and it fills that big void that would otherwise exist in people's lives it's a great it's a great social phenomenon that uh, we, we must thank our lucky stars that we're part of that uh, process yeah. in fact i think i read somewhere that the the grieving time for a human over the loss of a companion that the human is considered a member of the family is is essentially very similar to the grieving time of a loss of a, another human in the family it is exactly and uh, you know we could call it pathological grieving because oh come on put yourself together it was only a pet you know you can go out and buy another one and uh, it can really bring people down into the depths of depression uh, but uh, similarly though uh, there's so many good stories about the way in which you know acquiring a puppy or a kitten or a rescue dog hopefully because i'm keen like you taking on rescue dogs and um, that um, that can just turn people's lives around Turn people lives around who are in trouble with the law. In the, the in some of the prisoner dog training programs that are started in the US, fantastic, and they've been copied in Europe as well. Um, you know, people who've got relationship problems that uh, find themselves uh, in jail for some misdemeanour, and they get them into these uh, dog therapy, dog training programs. I'm the founder, trustee uh, of a charity called Medical Detection Dogs. Um, one of the main applications of these dogs is to go to people who are diabetics and suffer repeated constant uh, hypoglycemic shocks, so uh, low blood sugar episodes, and they lose consciousness and people think they're drunk, but they have to be rushed off the hospital and given emergency treatment. These dogs can spot a, a likely blood sugar low uh, with amazing accuracy and really save lives, but not only that, they rebuild the diabetics' confidence in themselves. Um, you know, they have a constant companion that has to go to work, transport, home, sleep, bed. And they're, they're alerting us sometimes up to 100 times a day and telling them, hey, you need to go and take some sugar. Wow, that's and, uh, amazing. 100 times a day. That is some, incredible. Some, some diabetics will be some listening to this program that have great difficulty managing their blood sugar insulin levels and, and, and getting it right. And uh, even with all the technology and the the monitors that are available. Uh, there's nothing as good as a dog. Dogs can detect cancer. Dogs can detect a whole range of physical problems as well in human beings. And of course, we all know that dogs can kind of read our minds, can't they? They're very perceptive of what humans are up to and our emotional state. They sure, they sure are. Love the little critter. Now, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised that as an animal advocate, sometimes you are accused by people who don't feel strongly about animals. Uh, they may even ask you a question like, how with all the violence and human misery in the world today, can you explain how you can justify spending time, money and resources improving the lives of animals? I mean, what do you say to people like that? 
Well, I think you've already mentioned that there, there's a strong correlation between cruelty to children, bad parenting, and uh, being thoughtless and cruel to animals. So the, the two kind of go together. You know, pathology, it's, it's a common pathology. But really, um, we're in a, a world where there is family sizes that are smaller. Uh, other people don't want children at all. A lot of people, I was with somebody yesterday who said, the only thing that keeps me sane and keeps me level, and, and somebody who had ADH, hyperactivity syndrome, and his dog mellows him, and, and he takes his dog everywhere, and it's actually got an official uh, statement that it is, it is an assistance dog, uh, but in his case, for a social behavioral problem. And so it's not just guide dogs, but keeping human beings mellow and, and nicer people to know. Um, I, I used to work for a market research company that uh, was alternatively researching people's chocolate eating habits versus their pet habits and their pet food purchasing habits uh, because I was a psychologist. And overwhelmingly, the, the people doing the field research for the pets said how much nicer the people were that, whose homes they visited exploring the pet human relationship and looking into their chocolate eating habits and you see it again and again you know uh, and, and people who professionally work with animals and with pet owners are blessed because we have we meet constantly such nice people I think you're right. I think definitely. I mean, it seems to me that the pet owners and the animal advocates that I've met doing the show are just pretty good people. And, you know, it spreads to other people, too. <laughs> it's just not reserved for animals. And then they shut off with humans. And uh, But, you know, speaking of animals, uh, which we've been doing, you're also CEO of a company by the name of the Company of Animals. Can you tell well, us a little it, bit? It's a bit of a play with words, isn't it? The Company yeah. of Animals. Um, but it is um, obviously I said I'm a, f a farmer's son and uh, I'm still a farmer got, got two little farms in the UK and um, we I'm blessed with being able to enjoy the company of animals uh, and we do things to make dog ownership and cat ownership but more dogs uh, easier so finding simple solutions that make pet owning experience more successful, more economical and, and less dangerous. So it grieves me that so many people are bitten by dogs. Um, so we and people are pulled over and injured by their dogs being taken, taking them for a walk instead of the other way around. Uh, and so that goes back to the halty. And the halty is something that came from my interest in horses. I ride. I, I've got a big stock bull weighs a, a ton and, and I can steer this bull around on a on a head halter and hmm. um, so I, I years ago 30 years ago had a bad back like you know ridiculous and um, slip disc type back and uh, I was lying in bed a cripple having to see my next patient who I knew was an Irish wolfhound big animal 60 kilos in weight and um, how the devil am I going to do that well I just took one of my calf halters that we um, train calves to go ready for being shown later on in life and it perfectly fitted this dog my i can treat dogs like horses now and uh you know 20 million halties later um i can say that was quite a good idea um and uh, so how many did you say 20 million 20 million yeah and we we have a new design of muzzle because again i'm very involved in the sharp end of dog bites and um, a better muzzle that allows dogs to be treated to be given um, um payoffs if you like tidbits um, and then they can drink and pant and so the dog can be safe behind his muzzle but still have a good quality of life and it's called the basketball ultra we're selling one million of these muzzles a year now that's a million people or a million dogs that are not 
not being injured and bitten by by other dogs, the dogs wearing it. And uh, so simple solutions. We've got um, too many people shout and hit and throw rocks at their dog that um, is a naughty dog. And dogs are some dogs are undoubtedly naughty. So what can we have as a penalty for bad behavior? So I'm keen on payoffs for good behavior with treats. Um, but then I'm just going to go and uh, give you an audio recording of a penalty. That little hiss you could hear is like the hiss of a snake or of an angry cat or a goose. And it's called a pet corrector. And uh, in, in the U.S. they're often called pet protector because um, people with little dogs like to walk and know that their dog, little chihuahua, won't be attacked by a big dog. Um, but the pet corrector, uh, again, sold three million. And that's three million people who are not hopefully shouting and screaming and hitting their dog, um, but still have a penalty to stop the dog barking, chasing the cat, stealing food off the table and, and the like. So I find sometimes high-tech, but often very low-tech um, solutions to everyday problems. Are these products sold in the United States? And if so, where can our audience get more information about yeah, them? The, the big uh, national chains, if I was the BBC, I couldn't say this on there, but, uh, but there's a company called Petco. Rather well known, they stock most of our products, and uh, in generally, you know, or high street stores. And um, if you go online to companyofanimals.us, there's a website there which will guide you to uh, an outlet. Many of the online, uh, like Amazon and, and and those who sell online, and carry on things as well. So um, wide range, all directed at training, but training at home by dog lovers so you don't have to go but I'd still encourage people to contact their dog trainers because dog trainers and behaviorists are a good bunch of people that most behavioral problems can be sorted with common sense and the right equipment and by owners themselves I think you're right about that and uh, then maybe back up uh, with some help from a trainer when you when it's needed you know uh, we've run out of time the time has really gone amazingly fast uh, Dr. Mugford and we thank you for being with us today and once again can you tell our audience if they want to find more information about the company of animals and your work where they might go online they can google my name which will come up with all sorts of um <laughs> funny things about, about the bad things I've done on, in this life but basically if we go to company of animals not the, the just companyofanimals.co.us and uh, it, it, we go to our website and, and then we can direct you either to my office or to people like-minded people who are distributing your products in the US well Max A. Pooch gives you five big tail wagging wolves for the work you've done because he knows your work has directly made the lives of animals and dogs better Better. And I also want to thank Mark Winter, executive producer and co-founder of Pet Life Radio and the sponsors who make this program possible. And please join us for each and every episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. And we want to thank again Dr. Mugford for uh, being with us today. And My pleasure be- indeed. And I wish I could listen to your program every week. I'm going to try and go, go online. Yeah, just go online and uh, Pet Life Radio and look for awesome advocates, and that's us. And be sure to tell your friends about it. And also, those in our audience, remember, until we meet again, if you do a good thing for an animal today, your reward will be you have helped to make the world a better place. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.